everybody. This is Tyler. And this is Danny. And we're the Fried Squirms. We're here to get stoned talk about horror movies. This week is going to be Society from Brian Usna, a name we are very familiar with here on this podcast. But before we get to that point, we got to get stoned. So, far green hits, Danny... What is this joint that I'm currently smoking on over here? All right, so this one actually has an acronym because it is shorthand for Super Silver Hash Plant, and that acronym is SSHP, <laughs> for those who don't know. But this is a hybrid. It's a 50-50 split. So with that being said, it is a creation through the crossing of the infamous Super Silver Haze in the, I'm assuming this is 1988 G13 Hash Plant strains. Mm. So what this means is that uh, you're going to get some really nice body highs, some cerebral highs. You'll feel energized, relaxed, and uplifted. The flavors on these are diesel, herbal, and spices with aromas of dank, diesel, pungent, and spicy. Now, somewhere between 15% to 23% on average is what the THC comes in at. And because I got this over at Greener Pastures when they print out on at least on their J's, they don't really give you the information on their THC. So, kind of like last week, it showed zero percent, but I have my doubts on that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, that's what I brought to the table this week for you. I don't have too much information on this one for you. I had never seen it over at Flower before, which is where I picked it up. But I brought some Old Family Purple today, which is a cross between Purple Urkel and Triangle Kush. It's going to be a little bit more on the indica side, and based on the lineage, I would guess kind of herbally and peppery, and have fun with it. It's some old family purple. Well, you already said it off air, but I am a big fan of some perps. So with that out of the way, I would just like to remind everybody that we do have a Patreon. Go check it out, patreon.com slash fried squirms. Even at our lowest level, you could have listened to this episode a week earlier. We got early release on all episodes for our patrons. And as you move up the levels, you get shit like stickers. You can hit us up on Discord. All sorts of fun things. We're going to be starting to add to that a lot more, I think, coming up soon as things sort of get all figured out with the uh, earworm side of things as a whole. So looked forward to that. And please come check us out and, like, be our patrons. <laughs> yeah, and maybe one more little warning ahead of time, too, is I've got a trip upcoming soon. So, oh, right. Yeah, we're going to have a little break in between. There will be a little bit of downtime coming up. We'll basically be back in time for our Christmas episode. What, we got one more week after this? Yeah, one more episode. We'll take that break, and then we'll be back for our holiday episode. Awesome. Sounds good. With that, let's get into the guts and bolts of society. Guts and Bolts. Alright, Guts and Bolts. Who and what went in the making of society? Spoiler free. Start off. Our spoiler free setup. Bill, actor and character, is a teen. Yeah. Living in Beverly Hills. Starts to suspect that something's off with his family. And then gets some evidence that maybe it's even more crazily off than he could have ever imagined. And things spiral from there. I think that's a brief setup that's fairly accurate of what's going on without spoiling anything. So, of course, we'll get into all those juicy bits coming up soon. But 
We do like to talk about the cast and crew of our films, and this week, you've already mentioned a director we're very familiar with. He's also a producer, a writer, editor. He's got his hands on all kinds of projects, but I am talking about Brian Usna. We've talked about him previously on two episodes. Well, actually three, because he is the producer on Reanimator, Mm -hmm. but we talked about him because of his directing credits on Episode 166, when we reviewed The Dentist, and then on episode 201, when we reviewed Bride of Reanimator, right? So along with those credits, I do want to bring up a few others, but Brian is known for the films Silent Night, Deadly Night, Part 4, Initiation, and Return of the Living Dead, Part 3, the Necronomicon Book of Dead, the segments, the library, and Part 3, it's called Whispers. Uh, the Dennis Part Two, Beyond Reanimator. This is just stuff like where he's. This is just his directing credits too. He's also done stuff like Dolls and Warlock, and I've already mentioned Honey mm-hmm. I Shrunk the Kids and The Giver as a producer. Uh, his writing credits also include the television series Honey I Shrunk the Kids. So I mean, he's got his hands all over the place. Like I said, some uh, really cool credits. Now I did listen to an interview because of this film, because I own it, and all this other fun stuff, but. He mentioned the reason why he got into producing is when he went into doing Reanimator with Stuart Gordon and all those guys. He said he didn't know what all the titles meant, like what oh, okay. director was, what producer was. He says, but then he learned because of some French people that the producer is the one who's pretty much in charge and makes the most money. He says, oh, yeah, let me do that. I'd like to do that. <laughs> so that's how he got his hands into it. And this story is kind of interesting how he got into directing, but anyhow, I'll save that for the next section. So moving forward, we have writers Woody Keith and Rick Fry. Now, these are two guys we have talked about before. Woody Keith, we talked on episode 201 for Bride of Reanimator. A few other films of note from him are Silent Night, Deadly Night, Part 4, Initiation, the film Dementia, the film Girl Next, and the film The Quantum Devil. And Rick Fry is also known for the film Dementia. All right, cinematographer, another gentleman we've talked about before, but that is Rick Fichter. We talked about him on episode 201 for Bride of Reanimator. A few other things of note from him are Adventures in Dinosaur City and the television series Nash Bridges. Oh, weird. Okay. Yeah. All right. So editor, another guy we've talked about before. This is Peter Teschner. Now, we talked about him back on episode 103 for Phantasm Part 2 and also on episode 201 for Bride of Reanimator. A few other things of note from him because he's got some cool credits are the films The Dark Side of the Moon, which actually that's a film Unearth put out not too long ago. Okay. Right? He's also helped on Puppet Master Part 2. He's also helped on uh, The Little Rascals back in 1994. No the shit. Brady I love the Little Rascals. Yeah. Oh, the Brady Bunch movie was a lot of fun. Do you remember that shit? Of course I do. That, that shit was awesome. Yeah. Christine Taylor. Yeah. Yeah. Fun movie. What was his name? Oh, damn it. He's in Office Space, but he's he's Bill Lundberg. He's, he's Ricky Bobby's dad. Right. Shit. Yes. He plays the fucking dad in the Brady Bunch movie. Right. All right. So Private Parts, Dr. Doolittle. 28 Days, Charlie's Angels, Josie and the Pussycats, Scary Movie 2. Do not confuse 28 Days with 28 Days. No, 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 no. It's not even close. Legally Blonde, Part 2, Red, White, and Blonde. Mm -hmm. Dodgeball, A True Underdog Story. Oh, okay. Borat. Whoa. That's crazy. Semi-Pro, Horrible Bosses, Identity Theft, St. Vincent. I think this is something we talked about before when we talked about Phantasm Part 2. 
It's like, this dude's got some crazy credits. All right, the music on this was composed by two gentlemen, Phil Davies and Mark Ryder. Now, Phil, he's known for composing the music for such films as Trancers, Trancers, City of Lost Angels, Nightwish, which is another fucking film that uh, Unearth put out, The Dark Side of the Moon, Trancers 2 and 3, and a film called Bunker of Blood, Chapter 6, Zombie Lust, Nightflush. Sounds like a Skin and Max film, maybe. <laughs> and uh, Mark Ryder is known for such films as The Dark Side of the Moon, Nightwish, and Oxford Blues, which is really cool. All right, we have special effects. This is a really cool gentleman. This guy is Japanese. He is Screaming Mad George, and his Screaming oh, Mad George Incorporated had with this film. But we talked about him on two episodes. Uh, we talked about him back on 201 for Bride of Reanimator and episode 217 when we talked about A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3 Dream Warriors. Now, well, this guy, you talk about some cool credits. He helped on Poltergeist Part 2, The Other Side, Big Trouble in Little China, Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 5, The Toy Maker. He also helped on the movie Freaked, which I've lent several people now at our store. <laughs> he also helped on Spaceballs. He's helped on NSYNC's video, It's Gonna Be May. Directed The Giver. Dude, I know I wanted to bring that up to you because I was like, what the fuck? It's so crazy. He's also worked on Predator. He helped with the creature effects. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's helped on The Stone Age, another film for the gnarly eyeball. That movie's so fucking Oh, good, shit. Man. He's even helped Slipknot design their masks. Dude, how awesome is that? I don't that? know which iteration of masks, but... But regardless, that's still boss. All right. We have producer is Keith Wally. Production companies are Wild Street Pictures and Society Productions. The distributors on this were Medusa Communications and Marketing. They helped for the 1989 United Kingdom theatrical release. And Zeka Films helped for the 1992 USA release for All Media. The release dates I have are July 1989. This was at London Scala Cinema in England in June 11th, 1992 here in the States. It has an estimated budget of about $2 million. And the tagline I have is... In Beverly Hills, what you fear is only the beginning. Do you have any more of the taglines? Because this one actually has like two or three really good taglines. There are several. I didn't write them down. The other ones are a little bit more on the nose, but I yeah. really like them. There's a, the rich have always fed off the poor. Okay. Is one of the taglines. And the other one is what the fucking judge says at the last shunt. What is it? It's the, uh, something like, it's all about good breeding, really. I mean, he does say that. <laughs> he really That's does. what it is. That's awesome. All right. So that rounds out our crew. Moving into the cast of society, we're going to start off with uh, Billy Warlock, who plays William, Bill, or Billy Whitney. It goes Yo, in between. Billy a, Warlock's one of the coolest fucking names you can have. Well, here's something really interesting about this, and it's no coincidence. Now, we've actually talked about his dad before. His dad is Dick Warlock? Yeah, a famous stuntman. Played uh, The Shape. He was also in part three as like one of those robotic, mm. whatever, henchmen. Billy did grow up in the Beverly Hills area. And the high school that they filmed that was actually the high school he went to as well. So kind of interesting. But anyhow, uh, Billy, he has been known for such films as Halloween Part 2. He's also known for the film Panic in the Skies. He helped on a lot of soap operas. That's daytime soap operas. Started off in such things as Happy Days from 1982 through 1983. Then he went on to be in Days of Our Lives from 1986 all the way through 2007. 
He went on to star in Baywatch. That was back in 89 through 1992. And then also in General Hospital from 1997 through 2003. So, like I said, I got a lot of credits in uh, soap opera, as do a lot of these people coming up. So I have Connie Denise. She plays Nan Whitney. I know, I think she goes by another name now, but this is what she's credited as. But a few things of note from her. She was in Hunter's Blood. She was also part of the Star Trek The Next Generation television series back in 1988 and the film Neron. All right, we have Ben Slack. He plays Dr. Cleveland. A few things of note from him. He's actually got a few things that are really cool. He was in the 1973 film Serpico. Some people might oh, know sure. from that. Okay. Yeah, 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 dude. I like he's been on a ton of television. I'll just go ahead and say that. Mostly just like little bit parts here and there, but uh, such things as like Three's Company. He was in uh, The Dukes of Hazard for an episode. He was also in a few episodes of Hill Street Blues. He was in an episode of A-Team. Some people might recognize him for a few episodes in Cagney and Lacey. I think that was a, a show my grandma used to watch. <laughs> he was in Columbo. He's in Santa Barbara. I know we've mentioned that several times. He was also in Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 4, The Initiation. He was Kate Tall in two episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation back in 1991. Played Mr. Ehrman in The Wonder Years from 89 through 91 as well. A number of other series, Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. Hmm. He was in a few uh, episodes of Beyond Belief, and his last credit was Shooting L.A. back in 2001. All right. We have Evan Richards. He plays the role of Milo. He's been in such things as Altered States, which is a really good film from 1980. Okay. He was in the Twilight Zone, the movie. He was in the segment Kick the Can as young Mr. Aggie. He was also in such things as Webster, the television series, uh, back in 1985. Mm. He was in Down and Out in Beverly Hills from 1987. That's a television series. He was in Rock and Roll High School Forever. He was also Bill S. Preston Esquire in the Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure television series from 91 through 92. <laughs> That's fucking wild. Yeah, and some of his last credits were The Adventures of Young Indiana Jones, a television series back in 1999. All right, moving forward, I have Patrice Jennings. She plays the role of Jenny Whitney. She was in the television series What I Like About You from 2004 through 5, and she was in the movie Accidentally in Love. I have Tim Bartell. He plays the role of David Blanchard. He was in the films Meatballs Part 2, and he was a part of the Webster television series also back in 1988. I have Charles Lucia. He plays Jim Whitney, who is the father of both Jenny and Bill in the film. Okay. All right. He was a part of the Days of Our Lives television series from 1985 through 1993. He was also in the films The Hand That Rocks the Cradle, and you might have seen him in Tank Girl. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. All right. We have Heidi Kozak Haddad. She plays the role of Shauna, which is Billy's girlfriend. Right. Ron, yeah, yeah, yeah. girlfriend. All right. She was in the films Slumber Party Massacre Part 2. Some people might have seen her in Friday the 13th Part 7, The New Blood. And she was also part of the Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman television series back in 1993. All right, I have Brian Bremer. This is the one that really surprised me because he plays the role of Martin Petrie. He's like the kid that's in the debate with Billy throughout the film. If I didn't already know that it wasn't him, I would guess that that kid grew up to be Mr. Mowgli in Django Unchained. However, I know that, that it's not. But Right, but still, I'm like, this is crazy. So a few things of note from Mr. Bremer. We talked about him back on episode 135. What episode was that? I know that's a random-ass question, but that's actually our Pumpkinhead episode. Okay. And he plays a little kid who gets hit by the dirt bike. 
He plays Yo, Lance no Henriksen. Really? Yeah. Okay. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> That's him. So That's uh, fucking wild. Yeah, a few other things of note from him. He was in Silent Night, Deadly Night, Part 5, The Toymaker. And he was also in Tyler Perry's Why Did I Get Married? Well, that's out of fucking nowhere. Yeah, I also read that he's from Hickory, North Carolina, originally. Look, this is going to sound really fucked up. That boy is really, really fucking white to be in a Tyler Perry movie. Yeah, like gingerbread white. Like, that sounds kind of fucked up in in a weird way, but like... No, given, given, I know what you're saying, though. Yeah, it just kind of surprised me, but interesting nonetheless. All right, we have Ben Meyerson plays a role of Ted, the tycoon Ferguson. A few things of note from him. He was in Caroline at Midnight. He was in the movie Freeway. Actually, a pretty good movie. He's also in Speed Part 2, Cruise Control. He was in Knocked Up and Funny People. Hmm, okay. Yeah, I was like, cool, good on him. All right, we have Devin DeVasquez. She plays a role of Clarissa Carlin. She was in the movie House 2, The Second Story. She was also in Can't Buy Me Love. You might have seen her in A Low Down Dirty Shame. She was also in Citizen Toxie, The Toxic Avenger Part 4. And she was a model for a while. She was a Playmate of the Month. Yes, she was. In 85. Yeah, I would have been like three, four June years 85. old. June 85. I was, wasn't born I was yet, which it. is why I know it so well. I was digging it. <laughs> and I just read the internet really well. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, she makes uh, mention of that when they have like their behind the scenes and all that stuff is kind of interesting. But all right. I've got uh, three other people, and this kind of rounds out our cast and crew. I've got David Wiley, plays the role of Judge Carter. A few things of note from him. He was in Hogan's Heroes, a television show from 67 through 69. He was also in Friday the 13th, Part 3. And he was in the film Jagged Edge. Now, I could have avoided putting Hogan's Heroes down, but the reason I brought that up is, man, I don't know if you know much about this or not, but the guy who was the lead in that, Bob Crane. Yeah. There is a movie called Autofocus, but um, it's kind of like a biopic in a way about Bob Crane and I think another guy who was in Hogan's Heroes, but they were into some sexual deviancy and they filmed a lot of their sexcapades. Oh. And Greg Kinnear plays him, Bob Crane that is, in the movie. It's fucking good, but it is, whoa, (laughs) it's crazy. Yeah, because that was like a super popular show back in the late 60s. All right, anyway, that's why I wanted to bring that up. All right, we also have David Wells. He plays the role of Sergeant Burt. Now, we've actually talked about him before, real briefly, but he was in episode 224 when we talked about Friday the 13th, part six, Jason Lowe's, when we had Charlie McCorn. Oh, right. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. But uh, he was a special effects mechanic oh. as a part of that crew. Wow. So I was okay. like, that's wild. I thought I'd recognize, I mean, David Wells is also a pitcher, but yeah. I thought I'd recognize him because of film. And last but not least, I have uh, Jason Williams. He plays Jason's friend. I'm like, I don't know who the fuck Jason is in this film. But he does appear in the database as a picture, not just a blank picture. And so I, I clicked on his name. I was like, "What? Is, let me see what this is all about, right? Um, well, for those who are into adult entertainment, uh, some people might know him as Flesh Gordon. <laughs> I still don't know who Jason is. I don't either. But Jason is played by Brian Usen's kid. Right. And I was like, dude, if that is the case, then there's only one scene that I can think of. It's the kids on the beach. Right. But this dude is not old enough to be a kid because Flesh Gordon came out in 74. Oh, okay. So, so that's what I'm saying. Same. I was yeah. like, that can't, be, that can't be him. 
So that yeah, might so that's be, gonna be that's that gonna might, be a fuck up. Somebody, I think that is. I think we, I think we ran clicked, into this before. Somebody linked the wrong Jason. I was gonna say yeah. I think we've run into this before because I remember doing that before. Where I was like, that's nah, not the same person. It's not the yeah. same person. So I was like, that is odd. But they yeah, well, credited wasn't the other one like some footballer. I, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah it yeah. sure was. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. So I can edit this out. But that's just kind of funny, regardless. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, anyway, that's our cast and crew. You gave us a brief setup. Should give you some warnings. This is using the film. It's not our first foray. Yo, so body horror. Yes, galore. Lots of sexual stuff. Yes, lots of that. A lot of taboo subjects, incest, implied mm-hmm. stuff like that. Tits nudity. for no reason. Yeah, nudity. No dongs this time, though. No dongs this time. Bit of ass. A little bit of butt cheek. I think that pretty much covers I it mean, in a very standard. vague sense. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be gore. That kind of goes hand in hand with the body horror aspect of this stuff, but... If you are familiar with Brian Usna, we've already talked about like Stuart Cord and stuff like that. You're gonna understand where we're coming from with the warnings. Yes, yes, same, Weirdness, different, just but weird, but similar. Right, exactly. I would say a little bit more towards I don't know traditional body horror than you get from like the Reanimator flicks. That's a solid point, though. Maybe a little bit more akin to From Beyond. Yeah, I think that's probably more akin. Mm-hmm. Let's just get into it and find out how society made us squeal. How does that make you squeal? All right. Brian Usna, society, go. (laughs) (laughs) I know, right? So history, right? It's how we we tend to try to do it with certain films. Mine's easy. This is my first time. Okay. So I was thinking about it this weekend. This was my coming out. (laughs) Yeah, we'll definitely get into that. But I was thinking, I want to say I've seen this film probably like four or five times now. Okay. All the way through. And I think the more recent view I had outside of this weekend was probably like maybe a year or two ago. Okay. So I it hadn't been that long. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you no. Know, but there were still some scenes I like. You know how films are. It's like sometimes you forget certain scenes and how they play out, but that was about it. Nothing else kind of shocked me because I was still familiar with a Mm -hmm. lot of this stuff in this film. Okay, okay. Yeah, no, this was fucking wild. So we didn't really touch on this yet. This film's a satire. It's not a subtle satire. Oh, no, no, no. It's It's extremely on the nose. We don't have to sit here and discuss the symbolism of things because even if you don't get it, in the end scene, they spell it out for you. Oh, I mean deliberately and if you were paying any kind of attention you're right they spell it out so i'm gonna say like from the get-go like it's weird because this is kind of a mystery movie you don't know exactly what's going on it's not the kind of mystery movie that benefits from multiple watch throughs because it's not that kind of mystery no it's not maybe yeah your first time through for sure yeah first time it's fucking wild but (laughs) like what's going on but like knowing the solution as it were doesn't make things more interesting the second time through. No, 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 no. I think it's just the subtleties, maybe in the dialogue, Mm -hmm. that'll start to jump out. I agree. I mean, that's almost one of my first fucking notes, is like when Billy is fucking asking, what's his sister's name? Jenny. Why it didn't work with Blanchard. Yeah. And she says, oh, well, he's just not the right sort for me. And you're like, oh, that's a weird way to say it. You find out not... Just his probably financial, but I think more so his religious mm-hmm. too, which you know, like I said, we'll delve into that. But there are some interesting 
I mean, because it is a critique and it's on the nose, but there's also like some other stuff too, like they'll throw in little jabs here and there too that are subtle. Like, okay, this film's on the nose as fuck, so let's get it out of the way. Like, if you haven't figured it out by now, this film is all about the fact that all these rich are not humans as we know it and literally feed off the poor. Yeah, exactly. And the way I surmise it, and it's just like the old saying goes is, yeah, the rich eat the poor. They're just disgusting slime monster shits. Yeah, and in this case, it's not a metaphorical sense. It's a literal sense. So there's that to look forward to, but we'll talk about that more in a second. But I kind of want to get out of the way, just like... Yeah, just to get that out of the way, to get the cat out of the bag. You know, honestly... In a lot of ways, this flick kind of reminded me almost of, like, the way folk horror flicks play out. Yeah. Because, like, yeah. essentially, the society is a cult. Yes. Like, what it really is is just a separate culture. What I find interesting. You know what I mean? But Yeah, no, no. What, I, I do like etymology, like the trying to figure out where certain words come from, the root mm-hmm. word and shit. I mean, the root word culture is cult. Right. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> So, yeah. But then, like, it's not quite folk horror. No, but it, it's But it then has the parts that aren't folk horror, you're like, well, it's also kind of Stepford Wives-ish. Yeah, that's true. Which made me start thinking, like, Stepford Wives is obviously the greater inspiration, but it made me wonder even a little bit if Jordan Peele likes this mm. movie and it helped inspire Get Out at all. Ooh, that's a really good question because I could see, yeah, if he's seen this, I can see how it inspired him mm-hmm. without a doubt. And if not, it's just an interesting coincidence. But I feel like some of that same DNA is there no matter which way. Oh, that's a solid yeah. point. A solid point. Because, you know, shit like that happens. Calculus was yeah. discovered by two different people. Yeah, I mean, sometimes there are cases of parallel thinking. Mm-hmm. It's a part of our quote-unquote, our society, you know, you're going to have certain things that prop up that people are going to attach themselves to. And sometimes, yeah, it's just going to be the ideology or the way of thinking that's the same. And also, I might just be saying that because I'm stoned and they both are kind of Stepford wives I mean, they share a commonality. Mm-hmm. And that could be it. It could be the common thread. I was really happy when I saw Screaming Mad George come up in the credits again. Not going to lie. Dude. I didn't even remember everything that we had seen, but just like... When somebody's credited as Screaming Mad George in the opening credits, you're like, yes, that's a, a sign. of. I'm like, yeah, dude, that's such a good name. And he talks about it. I'll bring that up a little bit later on, too, because it's interesting. But you know you're going to get yourself into something fun. And I've already mentioned his credits. I couldn't tell what was going on in the background of that opening montage sequence. And then once <laughs> you've seen the shunt at the end, you can follow like, every damn. detail. And that opening credit sequence is disgusting. <laughs> yes, it is. But upon <clears throat> first watch, you don't know that. It's really hard to tell, especially in it's kind of high contrast, if I remember right. Like, Yeah. And, you know, we're getting to watch it now with a more clear lens. Now, can you imagine watching this on VHS or something like that back in the day? Oh, geez, yeah. Yeah, it would have been even more scuzzy. Well, you you have a physical copy, right? I do. And your physical copy is it's a the, 2K version? It is a 2K version, yeah. That was, I'm guessing, scanned from the film print? Yeah. I'm not entirely positive, but I am pretty sure that the version on Shutter is 
just up formatted from the standard def. Oh, okay. Because I felt like I was watching my TV handle a lot of the work. Gotcha. I gotcha. That's like I might have yeah. upgraded my TV at just the right time for the the AI Ooh. to fill in some of the gaps on that standard def. Well, sometimes those coincidences <laughs> yeah, are in our favor, and we'll take them. But yeah, I had bought, and I was telling my brother this. I bought the copy. It's an Arrow uh, Steelbook. So they, mm-hmm. when I say they, Zavi had a sale several years ago. And I jumped on it, and I got some really nice still books out of it. But that was a part of it. To sign. Okay. And I wanted a copy of the film for a while. And we both know Arrow puts out really good releases of their, whether it's DVD, Blu-ray, whatever. So, yeah, I'm, I'm pleased with it, dude. Fuck yeah. Um, oh, I'm going to look it up right now because I'm sure you've shown me a picture of it before. But now I'm really curious. Like, ooh, what does the Arrow steel book of this look like? Yeah, actually, I put some pictures up on our Instagram of it. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, shit, son. That makes it easy. Uh, man, for just from the get-go, I was kind of laughing at this movie because also from the get-go <laughs> with Jenny, you get a shit ton of fan service. And I'm like, oh, it's that kind of 80s horror movie. Yeah, that's like, you know, she might I don't be have anything of, against it, but... No, no, no. It's like she might be a part of an acronym club, but, you know, she's some pretty decent eye candy. And you said in the 80s sense, you know? Mm-hmm. And what I find interesting, too... Is, is how this film kind of opens up with almost this nightmarish kind of fever dream opening from Billy. Mm-hmm. And it's just his mom like, Billy. And then he's talking to his psychiatrist, Dr. Cleveland. And this is where I was getting at. Like, if you've never seen this film before, there's going to be some dialogue that might not make much sense at first. But upon second, third, fourth, and so forth views... They're telling you what's going on. But one of the things that I captured in this very first conversation is what Billy's telling his psychiatrist is that he believes something's going to happen. And he feels like if he digs beneath the surface, he's going to find, you know, like it's going to be kind of ugly or whatever. I'm kind of paraphrasing, but he's mm-hmm. kind of giving subtle hints of, yeah, he is going to find some shit <laughs> that's beneath the surface. But then I, what I found was interesting, I didn't know this either, is that. The song that they did is is a rearrangement or like a special arrangement of the Eaton Boat song, which is from like an Eaton College. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess the rowing team. That makes sense. That's fucking yeah, well-to-do bullshit. Right, right, right. So they, you know, when I say they. I'm not going to say just well-to-do bullshit. Like, I actually know a gal that was a national rowing champion. So. <laughs> and she's definitely not from well-to-do bullshit. She's from a fucking nowhere town in the middle of Montana. Oh, good but her, man, but. That's, it's well-to-do bullshit. I was going to say that she's probably like the exception to the rule. Yeah. <laughs> in most cases. So, But I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting because the name of the song itself right now is Eaton Boating Song, special arrangement, mm-hmm. you know, et cetera, et cetera. So I listened to the original. And it's more, you know, like just a nostalgic school song. Same melody and everything. It's just the, the words, lyrics are different. Which gives this film a whole different meaning. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, phew. Anyway, that, I found that interesting. Kind of the next thing you get is just Billy and his friend Milo playing basketball. Mm-hmm. There's like a little exchange about being born good and all this other stuff. Yeah. You know, it's just like another little subtle kind of thing. They're unknowingly saying it. But the whole gist of this is that Blanchard is over and he snuck into Jenny's room. And he seems like he's a creepy guy at first because he's doing creepy shit. Let's get that out of the way. I was going to say, like, he doesn't deserve what happens to him. 
And ultimately, he was mostly just freaked out by what he was discovering. But we don't but know that. He's still going about it in the creepiest fucking way he could. Exactly. It's like he's sneaking into her wardrobe and she drops like, what was it, some jewelry? I thought for sure he was going to get his ass beat, not just thrown out of the house. Oh, yeah. Billy just comes in and, you know, just pretty much is like, all right, guy, you know, get the fuck out of here. Parents show up and they're like, didn't we nah. tell you not to mess with our daughter? Or, you know, leave us alone, essentially. But he's trying to get some information out, Blanchard, that is. Mm -hmm. Like you were saying, he's just doing it in a really creepy manner. He just sucks. Yeah, he's not good at dispersing Things information. Like life. Social interaction. And like staying alive. As we'll find out. <laughs> All right. What I wrote down was uh, Jen is having her coming out party later on that night because they're talking about the judge. Gonna, it's going to be there or he's going to be there. Yeah, from the get-go, even before yeah. we get to some of the other scenes, like... Is Billy just now coming to the conclusion that his family's weird? Like, did they That's just now start being this incestuous? Or have has it just always been, like, normalized around the house? Because from the get-go, the parents are giving Jenny fuck-me eyes. Like, it's yeah, fucked there's up. Like, something there's off. other scenes that are even more like, by the way, they're fucking later <laughs> on. But from the fucking jump, I'm just like, wait, wait, wait. You're just now thinking this is weird? Exactly. No, I think that is an interesting point to make because we're only seeing it from his lens, Billy's that is, at this stage in his life, mm -hmm. which he's like, I'm assuming he's like a senior or something in high school, you know, coming to yeah, these yeah. conclusions or whatever. Yeah, because he even mentions that later on. He's about to be 18. But uh, point being is, it's like, yeah, well, how did he just finally come to this conclusion that his family's what he suspects Fucking they wild. are? Yeah, like, they're into all kinds of sexy shit. But, like, I'm just like, wait, wait, wait. Is this <laughs> You're new? just now figuring this out, <laughs> homie? I don't know, man. Like, how naive are you? I, mm, yeah. I don't know. Okay. I was about to say, I know that people think he's going crazy, but they don't think he's going crazy. They know that they're trying to drive him crazy. Yeah. It's all a giant fucking gaslighting project, but... In the context of what we're watching at this time in the movie, like, his family is supposedly thinking he's going a little nuts because he's doing some fucking weird shit and, like, yeah. saying weird things and being found yeah. having yeah. weird fucking nightmares and bullshit. Strange so, like, he's ending up in therapy with Dr. Cleveland and just going to take that as a moment to, like, I know most people can't necessarily afford it all the time, but let's just normalize therapy even when you don't think people are going crazy. You're right. Because they never Whatever. outright say that that's the reason why he's going. Exactly. But I think you can kind of piece some of those things together. From the time period, you can kind of piece it together. But I think so. it's not actually shown that way, which is what made me think of it. Like, let's just normalize therapy. People yeah, can make use okay. of that. Yeah. Anyway, I just thought it was interesting because a lot of movies, especially I feel like from this time period, would be like, we got to get you to a fucking shrink. Oh, yeah. Like put them in a fucking padded cell and all and that they, other stuff. And they don't really do that. They're just like, next scene, he's seeing Dr. Cleveland, who he seems to already have a rapport with. So maybe he's already been his doctor. Yeah. Kind of makes sense. Mm -hmm. You know? So here is what I put. It's a pre-basic instinct moment, if you're familiar oh, with yeah. that film. Here is something that is interesting, and she's made mention of it, the actress that is is that she pulled it off before Sharon Stone did. This movie came out before Basic Instinct. Yeah. So, yeah, she invented okay. that. She invented that as far as I'm concerned. But the point is, is yeah, Billy's up there debating the kid from Pumpkinhead. 
And yeah, he gets thrown off by Clarissa showing her goods. And, you know, it kind of puts him in this, this weird, I, I don't know, like he, he also, he kind of comes back from it too. He comes back from it. He's in a pretty fucking hard <laughs> stupor for seeing just some pretty plain black panties when his girlfriend is rocking just redick know, camel right? toe at the beach all the time. Yeah, just, I mean, she primed. Uh, let's put it that way. Yeah, but the guy says something that she's mm-hmm. kind of bad news. So he's given a subtle warning. Billy is going to go to the beach. He walks in on Jenny. In the shower. That's okay. kind of your, yeah. kind of one of the first real, like, what the fuck is going on right now moments. Mm-hmm. And it still makes you question, like, is he going bonkers? Or well, what? The, the big what the fuck for me right off was, I think around this same scene, is running into his folks admiring the slugs. Mm. And them talking about such a beautiful fucking crop this year and shit. I'm just like, what is going on right now? They are way too focused on those slugs. And they are acting like it is the most normal thing in the world. Yeah. And he's just like, I'm going to go to the beach. Don't be late. All right, weirdos. (laughs) What do you fucking do? I know. You walk in on your folks fucking admiring slugs. Yeah, it's so nice out, and they're acting so fucking weird. Uh, Yeah, I'm going to the beach. Fuck you guys. You guys are whatever. Yeah, the whole point is they have the encounter. She wants to, Shauna, that is, Billy's girlfriend. No, wants I ain't to go saying there. she's a gold digger. She wants to go to Ted's party. She's all about that shit. So Billy kind of musters up. If you love me, bitch. Yeah, like you were saying, there's a lot of gaslighting. and Is she part of society? I can't remember. Do we see her later? No. Is she part of driving her him crazy, or is she just, like, legit, she's a gold digger? I think that's what she okay. is i think that's what she is because <clears throat> yeah i don't remember seeing her at the end yeah me either so i don't think she's a part of society okay yeah yeah all right trying to make this whole point short is ted is at the beach because shauna wants to go to the party and because those kids squirted shauna in her face billy also runs at clarissa who squirts him in the face but ted runs into uh to Billy gives him kind of the shit and dude she gives him a fuck a facial I like, mean the whole point this was like movie this, is so fucking, sexual. this movie's fucking sexy as fuck right in the mouth <laughs> I was thinking I'm glad you said that too because like yeah this is this movie makes no bones about how sexual it's being very sexual so yeah that kind of like throws Billy like alright whatever the fuck man but the whole point is on his way back to uh, to where Shauna was at Blanchard is there, too, but he wants Billy to listen to some tapes by the pier. Just when I thought this movie was fucking nuts, then you start listening to that goddamn tape. I was not expecting just full-on incest gangbangs. Talking about stretching out and stuff. Which sounds like just super dirty the first time through, and the second time through, you're like, oh, ew. Jesus. But it also makes a lot more sense with the what they're well, actually yes. saying. But not the, at some first. of the wording is weird, right? Like, yeah. Stretching out can mean all kinds mm-hmm. of stuff. Yeah. And he definitely finds out that Ted's definitely fucked his sister. Yeah. It didn't start, stop there. No. So yeah, there's a, there's all kinds of implications because of that tape. So Billy takes that tape back to Dr. Cleveland. Who's kind of like, Hey, you know, we'll talk about it in the morning. We'll, we'll get to it in the morning. Once again, just kind of, you know, brushing them up aside. And 
the, the interesting thing is when he comes back, was it like the next morning, whatever it is, and Billy's like, you know, confronting Dr. Cleveland about what he heard and shit. He's like, you know, you got to be careful. I mean, he's basically calling Billy out for being creepy and shit, mm-hmm. filming it, or recording his own family. Because when he plays back the tape, it's nothing from what he heard, what Blanchard told him. But this is another little bit of, of interesting dialogue because Dr. Cleveland tells Billy some big shit in this whole little monologue he has. What I wrote down is, uh, he says, uh, and you have to learn to accept society's rules of privacy. He says, if you don't follow the rules, Billy, bad things happen. Mm. And then right after that, he follows it up with, it's a question of what you're born to. He's talking about rulers and and the people who are being ruled. Like, you know, there are people who make the laws and there are people who have to follow those rules. Mm-hmm. And it's a matter of what you're born into. And I was like, damn, <laughs> he's spelling this shit out to Billy. All right, Billy makes a phone call to Blanchard. He needs some tape. He's like, hey, man, give me another copy. I want to meet you here. On the way to the meeting, he discovers Blanchard's van's overturned. It looks like a crime scene. Body's getting carried off. And I think it was like those scenes in a row of like the tape getting flipped at the shrink's office, going straight into you're calling Blanchard. Blanchard's gotten fucking run off the road. Where I was like, oh man, this feels full quarry as shit. Like, yeah. Like, like, you might as well be stuck on a fucking island with Christopher Lee right Greater now. good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right, man. This is like, oh shit, this is fucked. You might want to check your back seat. Your sister might be missing her head, bitch. There's you, oh yeah. <laughs> Hope she doesn't, she doesn't eat nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Has all kinds of implications in this film. But, oh, oh, I think they're, uh, Oh, at Ted's party? Yeah, because he gets the invitation, so he does. He goes to the party. He winds up running into Clarissa. They're starting to dance and shit because Sean at that point has kind of called it. Well, at this point, it's pretty obvious that at know. times his family is very much corralling him to certain places. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're they're guiding. They're the hand that guides him, so to By speak. By the way, here's this message. Let's all listen to it. Oh, you're invited to Ted's party. Uh, oh, it sounds that- like you better go. That sounds like a great time for you. Watch yeah. out for that drinking and driving. Yeah, exactly. It's like, <laughs> all right, weirdos. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, he obliges his parents and he winds up going to the party and shit. But that's what I said. He runs into Clarissa and she says something that's actually kind of revealing because she like knows things about him. She's like, aren't you mm-hmm. dating Shauna? He's like, it's like, uh, you know a lot about me. He's like, like, what do you know? I'm like, my mom's last name? She's like, which one? Your real mom or your adopted? Right. I'm like, what? <laughs> so I was like, that's a big reveal because otherwise it's, she sounds like a, just like a little jab, a little comeback. You know, they're flirting or whatever. Nope. All right. So Milo kind of bumps into them, says well, whatever he says to her. And sort of during this party... Because this is a spoiler section, so I'm going to jump around just a touch for a second. This movie doesn't do a good job of illustrating the flip in Clarissa. Yeah, that's a solid point, too. Because at this party, she's still working for society. 100%. She's baiting him. Yeah, She essentially, at the end of the party, once he gets worked up, she throws him a distraction fuck. So he doesn't keep thinking about what's all going on. Right, 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 right. She's trying to give him some PNZ. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, and she does make a flip at some point in the movie. Right. But the movie does not do it. Doesn't at really all a spell good it out. No, I agree showing with that too. This film does have you know yeah I mean some holes here and there, but it's not a big deal. That's not really the point. Nineteen eighty nine Brian used the flick. Yeah, like, I love the man, but come on. 
Yeah. Bright reanimator. Like it's great, but it's Yeah, I mean it, same thing. It has its it has its moments. It has mm-hmm. its flaws too. So whatever, not a big deal. Yeah, the whole point of this scene is Ted confesses to Billy, he's like, Yeah. It's like, you know, first we dine him, then we we fuck him. Mm-hmm. Fuck your sister. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. Fuck your sister. It got everybody got so horny that they all fucked her too. Yeah. Blanchard, I ran him off the road earlier. Been quite a week, huh? Yeah. (laughs) Sounds like quite a week, huh? (laughs) Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, dunks him in the pool, and uh, Clarissa takes Billy home, fucks him. He sees some other weird shit while they're having sex because there's a hand that rubs her and him that's not hers. Mm -hmm. He's like, what the fuck? And then he, you know, falls off the bed and sees her contorted body, and then he comes back to her, and it's not contorted, and... She's like, yeah, I've wondered when you lost your virginity. Like, exactly when. I think that's when she's what she's uh, alluding to. Yeah, yeah. I think she knew he was a virgin, but she's wondering, like, we're at in this moment. <laughs> All right, so she tells him something interesting because she's making tea for them. <laughs> uh, I think I had to do as much of a double take as he did. <laughs> she says, how do you like your tea? Cream? Sugar? Do you want me to pee in it? <laughs> like what the fuck you're a real class act Clarissa <laughs> yeah yeah and you know her mom shows up and all that stuff happens and that kind of makes you wonder like what the fuck was up with her mom I don't know but how like, is that her mom <laughs> who's her dad so okay so from what I understand I don't know if this was cleared up and I don't know how canonical people consider the comic book series to be mm-hmm. okay yeah I don't know nothing about that I don't know if this is when this was cleared up or if it was in an interview somewhere but at some point, it was cleared up that society, the, the creatures or whatever, are humans mm-hmm. that long, long ago had gotten infected by a parasite that gradually changed them into being this way. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the way that they, they're mostly inbred, which is why they sort of stay that way. That and the sense. shunting is partially how they bring in new DNA. And so the implication is supposed to be that her family already isn't as willing to feed on others and Uh, bring in new DNA. So her mom is a little bit overly inbred. Gotcha. 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 That makes sense. Her mom's a Habsburg. Oh, damn. (laughs) So, well, you know, because at first I don't know anything about the comic book series and stuff like that. But and I don't know if that's was cleared up during the comics or like in an interview or something. Yeah. But I haven't gotten that far in depth with it, but I was wondering if maybe she was adopted, you mm-hmm. know, that was like her adoptive mother or somehow or whatever. And she was just trying to fit into society. So they were trying to like, but I didn't know like her father must be wealthy or something. You know what I mean? Something of that nature, but I don't know. I don't know. Right. It just made me wonder. Maybe that's why she had that turn. Right, like that's what I'm saying is like I think it's supposed to show like her family's already yeah, predisposed to not feeding on others. That makes sense too if if that is the case. It's like okay, mm-hmm. yeah, that gives me a little bit more insight into all that stuff. All right, um, here's some other interesting stuff. This is what Nan says to Billy. She tells him, "You know, you'll make such a great contribution to society. You'll do our whole family proud." And I'm like. Little does he know, he doesn't know what she means by that right now. Mm-hmm. Yo. Yep. All right. So here's where Bill and Milo, they start to notice something's off about Blanchard at his wake. And this is also what I've said earlier. He's Jewish. Blanchard, that is. Oh, right. 
So that also goes back to what she says, Jenny, that is earlier about him, about him, mm-hmm. you know, being a little different or a little. Not the right sort. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. There's some other implications there. If you want to read into that, it's up to you. You don't necessarily have to, but I don't think that was a coincidence that. No. Yeah. That he would happen to be Jewish. Um, but the whole point of that is they notice that something's off with his makeup. They're like, ooh, maybe he had to do a lot. They had to put a lot of makeup on him. Right. Something's off already. This is where Martin, uh, the kid who was debating Billy at those debates earlier, he says, uh, I need to meet you. Meet me at the canyon. This has to do about society. So Billy obliges. He goes to the canyon that night. Milo happens to follow him. Milo is being you know, his friend in this film. He finds the car in Martin. That's cool. I want to back up for a second. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. something we might have accidentally skipped over. I oh, can't okay. remember. It's okay. When he gets home from Clarissa's and his chick comes over to break up with him and there's mm. the fucking, the blow up doll and shit. Yeah. But then after that, he goes upstairs to confront his parents Yeah, about that was it. the line I was talking about with his mom. But yeah, I like, kind oh, of yeah, yeah. breezed over it. Yeah, sorry. I just wasn't no, paying enough fine. attention you're because fine. that fight where like, that argument he has with them Nothing that's said in the argument, but if you're watching what's going on, like, if you didn't get that the family was fucking, the family's fucking. Yeah, the dad is massaging Jenny. They're all in lingerie. In the bedroom, which almost looks like a fucking honeymoon suite. Right. Like, yo, that's, yeah. Nothing is right about that scene. And there, yeah, he's even commenting on it. He's like, the fuck's going on? Yeah, what? What? Yeah, some incestuous shit. And yeah, then that's when she says her line to him about, you know, his con- he's going to contribute right, to right, society. Right. Okay. Yeah, make them proud and all that stuff. But like, I totally glossed over all that shit. But it also implies, too, that Shauna's over Billy. So why is she getting all upset? Yeah. I mean, that's up to her. But anyway, I mean, that's all high school drama anyway. All right. So presumably Petri. Petri? Yeah, Martin Petrie. Petrie. Did he fake his throat being slit just by using his society powers? It would appear that way. Right? I think so. Or did he, like, homeboy actually slit his throat and then he repaired it using society powers? I could see that, too. Yeah, homeboy being Ted. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, Ted Bundy. (laughs) But, yeah, it freaks Billy out, naturally. And he goes running off to get help. Well, he goes to Clarissa's is what he does. I thought that whole sequence actually was really well done because it kind of heightened the tension by showing just how quickly this cover-up fucking can move. Because by the time he gets to Clarissa and they get the cops and they come back, it's even a completely different fucking car. Exactly. It's a different car. They find, like, I don't know, like a a shirt. The cops, that is. Mm -hmm. But the cops also say something to Billy that's kind of telling. He tells them, he says, "Uh, next time I see you, It'll be a lot less pleasant. Right, right. Which, yeah, that does play dividends later on. All right. The next morning, Billy's at school. It seems like there's another debate or something of that magnitude. Because, you know, there's an assembly in the freaking, I don't know, gym or whatever they're in. He gives the big old melodramatic speech. And he's like, by the way, fucking Petrie's dead. And then Petrie fucking waddles in. Yeah, I was having car problems. (laughs) You're like, what the fuck? Yeah, Milo and uh, Billy, they have their little conversation out in the car uh, because Milo's been putting all those little gags, the shrunken head doll in the locker and then blow-up doll in the car and all that stuff. But he said he noticed something because he was at the canyon that night and he saw, I guess, mm-hmm. Martin and Ted go off and then the cars being exchanged. So he knew something was up. 
Now, to be honest, I didn't think it was going to be revealed that it was Milo fucking with him. I thought it was eventually be revealed that it was Blanchard fucking with him for throwing him out of the house earlier. I could see that. Yeah, First time through. Precisely. But, because Blanchard was being creepy as fuck. But I, th- I think there's a tell that Milo does when they're at the locker and he sees that trunken hand. He kind of smirks a little bit. Oh, okay. He's like, oh, yeah, I got to him. Gotcha. But yeah. Billy just, like, slams it and just runs off. And is like, oh, that wasn't effective. Fuck. <laughs> God <Run> damn it. <laughs> he's like, maybe he knew. All right. Right after this, Milo witnesses Billy being admitted to the hospital because Billy goes home and wants mm-hmm. to have a little talk with his parents. And instead, they it's like the doctor and some henchmen. <laughs> yeah, he gets all ambushed and shit. Yeah, and he gets an, an injection. And then, yeah, they carry him off to the hospital. But Milo goes to the hospital. He talks to, like, a receptionist. She's looking up some information on Billy. But she comes back. She's like, yeah, we I found him. He's in the morgue. It's like, no. <laughs> you know, so Milo rushes out of the hospital. He's all pissed off. Billy is all sedated, it seems like. He's having mm-hmm. what appears to be maybe like a, a fever dream. And it sounds like Blanchard might be next door. To, oh, not next door, but in the bed next to him right in between the, the mm-hmm. curtains and so yeah wakes him up but when he peels it back there's nothing there and he walks out of the hospital just walks out his jeep happens to be there for him milo makes note of that and uh billy's i can't remember what he says i didn't write it down see this is another bit that's kind of it is uh, kind of odd. but it also kind of weirdly reminds me of like kill list where like oh yeah he's Towards the end, they're just sort of corralling him into, into different places. And even if it seems weird, by this time he's broken enough that he's, you know, he can't put up a struggle to it. Like, yeah, and I think, too, he's probably yeah he's probably gone down that rabbit hole so far down mm-hmm. right now that he probably is seeing things clearly. And it's like, I can't explain this to you because it's not going to make sense, but I know what the fuck is going on. I got Yeah, I think you're kind of right. He's, he's both kind of broken— but he's seeing things clearly and he realizes like, I'm either going to go die or it's going to go get fixed. Yeah. But I don't have time to fucking explain it. Yeah. I just, I'm too far entrenched in this shit right now. Yeah. I don't have time to slow down. So he's on his way back home. (laughs) Okay. So when he gets home is basically when they pull all of the fucking covers away from like, they explain everything by bad. Right right before we get to that. Yeah. Cause I did skip it. Is he goes to Clarissa's. She tells mm. him not to go home, but he, he's, he's, he's like, determined. No. She's like, that's where they want you to go. He's like, I know. That's where they want me to go. Here's – exactly. Here's where Yuzna, uh, he's admitted. He says he doesn't know where the whole hair gag bit came from mm. with the mom and then later on with the judge as well and the whole shunting stuff. Mm-hmm. But she – when I say she's like Miss Carlin, so it's Clarissa's mom, she's like – Riding now with Milo to the party, you know? <laughs> so, the, yeah. Don't they, touch my hair. Yeah, so now they're a team. <laughs> it's kind of odd. But, yeah, you're right. Once Billy shows back up home, he says he's got something for his mom and dad. And, yeah, the the whole curtain comes down now. It's basically a surprise party. Yo, everybody is there. Surprise. We're all here to fucking kill. Yeah, he's like, we got a double feature on this fucking bill. Hell, Yeah. But, like, legitimately, if you did not catch any of the subtext, it is all 100. I didn't write any of it down, but it is all spelled out by the various characters there. They tell you exactly who they are, what they've been doing, what their role in society is. 
it's really good. I'm like, damn, they fucked him good. Mm-hmm. You know? But you're right, Billy's captured, and uh, he's going to be a part of a party that he has been basically, you could say he's been kind of coached up his entire life for this moment. Well, like, it's kind of fucked up because, like, it's all about good breeding, really. Yeah, yeah. Right? So, like, they all feel like it's about them breeding themselves good, but he's also kind of like a prize cow that was like... yeah. It's like the fucking the Portlandia sketch where they like know exactly where the fucking duck egg came from and all that <laughs> bullshit. It's like we know exactly where this meal came from. It was raised right, by these by right this family. Here. Like yeah, we're catching the them in the prime. Like right, yeah, exactly. So it's, it's still kind of about good breeding. Yeah, and exactly, which and is part of the hunt. Up. We've kind of talked about this surprisingly a little bit with the house that Jack built mm. with the trophy hunting, mm-hmm. and in this case, it, it is kind of like that in a sense. Without them actually, you know, like, quote unquote, having to hunt. I guess a part of the hunt for them was just gaslighting him into this scenario. Yeah. But they, in other words, were raising him for this moment. They were priming him for this moment. And he became really good stock at this point. So, yeah, he's there for the feast now. I don't think he quite understands that part yet. First, we get the shunting of Blanchard. Whoa, yes, we do. And this is like the last 30 minutes of the movie, and this is all just off the rails. Like, we don't have time to describe everything that happens. No, this is when you describe. But this is when you find out what shunting is. What the fuck? Where, like, I'm not going to lie, but a lot of the art kind of gives it away for this flick. Like, this is one of those ones where it almost doesn't matter which poster you've seen. It's kind of in It does give some away. Yes, it does. But you get to see the full extremes to which this is carried. And, like, they first start, like, kind of gnawing at him. And you're thinking, almost like he's going to get ripped apart by, like, a zombie horde would, right? Yeah, by limb by limb. And this somehow manages to be more disgusting. Because they kind of just mold with him. Yes, it's more, like you were saying, body horror in the sense that it's melding. It becomes very surreal and gross because it's just like fluids and it's like they're sucking out his essence but they're also becoming part of his body Mm -hmm. yeah he's becoming a part of them i mean the idea is they're parasites so like they're becoming a part of him but they're not yeah they were literally sucking his essence out so that like you were saying they're extract kind of like extracting his dna Mm -hmm. so that they can keep continue to evolve or whatever yeah and it becomes very nightmarish and surreal and gross and apparent. but then the whole mood of the movie changes in the scene though too because this is where like they start balancing it with just full-on ridiculousness wild. and like humor oh, yeah. and people it's dropping so, stupid it's absurd. one-liners it's absurd and they're playing uh strauss's bl- the blue danube over top of this yeah, yeah i'm like this is so fucking ridiculous right now but, but it's awesome blanchard gets finished Oh, dude. By yeah, getting punched up the fucking rectum and getting his head pulled. Or, no. The hand comes the hand through his mouth. Up. Yeah. Yeah, and it basically just rips him down into the whole glob of people. And then they all just mold in on that. And exactly. start fucking. It's hard to tell. Right, but that's what's happening, too. But they don't hide it. No, man. No. They're basically having an orgy in his body. While they're also feeding, yeah, off they're of feeding, it. fucking, sucking, all <clears throat> that stuff, <laughs> shunting. 
and he is pulled into weird it's lumpy gnarly. strings all over the room. Yeah, they are literally laid across <laughs> all of the fucking furniture. It is some of the wildest fucking shit I've ever seen on film. It really is. And once again, this is 89, 1990, something like that. This, Wild. This is something I would expect to see more in, like, Tokyo Gore Police. Yeah. Honestly, you're absolutely right. It has an aesthetic and just bizarreness. Well, given who fucking did it, it makes sense. Like... Clarissa makes her switch at some point and she tries to help Billy get away. Right. right. And like a minor chase ensues through the house, which is actually really entertaining. It is. Um, The therapist chasing him. (laughs) He turns into that. Well, I mean, first off the therapist is like choosing to have a Chelsea grin. Yes. Which is creepy and cool all at the same time. Time period wise. Like I'm kind of wondering if they were intentionally aping Jack Nicholson's Joker. Perhaps. Maybe. But it's actually pretty fucking dope and really creepy at times. And then he runs into his parents. That's kind of, oh, the, the therapist gives him a hand and that's when he runs into the parents. That <laughs> yeah. shit reminded me of something like almost out of Beetlejuice. Kind of is. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because at this point it's, it was more comical in a sense, slapsticky. Mm-hmm. The parent shit is fucking hilarious. <laughs> his sister telling him if he has any Oedipal fantasies, this is now the time to indulge. Like, yeah. Here you go, mom and the sister. dad being a butthead, but very literally was both like grown dad jokeish, but fits perfectly. Yeah, hey Billy, <laughs> <laughs> like okay, uh, yeah, he, he exits the room just to get recaptured. But I think one of my favorite jokes is once he gets recaptured and they bring him back down, and everybody forms back up so that they can do this last part proper and shit. And especially because he like calls out Ted and they're like, whatever, he's not going to beat Ted. And so they're just going to make it a fucking spectacle of it. Yeah. The best joke in this movie is when the fucking judge reforms himself and he still has a lit cigar. (laughs) Oh, what the fuck? (laughs) But he's managed to take the beauty mark that he liked on Blanchard. That is so funny. If you notice earlier, I think it's a coincidence, maybe pure coincidence, is that the mom, Nan, she has a beauty mark on her face. Mm. Yeah, well, you may all think, yeah, fucking Blanchard had it earlier too, but that was intentional. But I think hers was unintentional. It's just a pure coincidence. (laughs) Like, okay. That's funny. Yeah, what happens during the face-off is Ted starts to get the upper hand. He's, you know, giving Billy the work. And he goes in for that kiss... That was the wildest way to fucking end it, right? Dude, what do you think about those lips? <laughs> that was funny. But I was just like, oh shit, like he's literally trying to give him like a kiss of death. Mm-hmm. Nah, didn't. Yeah, exactly. But also it kind of reinforces the weird like the way that they were intentionally using sex in this movie to help keep the audience uneasy. Mm-hmm. Especially at this time period, 89, your finishing move is a dude going in to fucking kiss another dude. Talk about fucking uneasy. What the fuck is that, dude? Yeah. Knock it off that gay shit, bro. Yeah, I mean, that's what it would amount to, mm-hmm. if we're being honest, you know. So like, that, no, I like, thought like, that was fucking like brave. It is. Well, there's something interesting. Well, I'll get back to that, but let's note that because that is an it's interesting It's kind of fucked up to like code your villain as like evil gay. Yeah. But at the same time, like you've already been using sexuality. Even bisexual if that's the case. Yeah. yeah. 
yeah, you've already been using sexuality to help keep the audience uneasy. Exactly. What a fucking way to just cap hey, it maker. off. Yeah. <laughs> Money shot, if you will. You're right, but Billy gets the quote-unquote upper hand, no pun intended. No, I wish him figuring out he could do this was somehow explained. Uh, I don't know, but they went for it, and it's the first time I believe that was pulled off on film. Uh, as far as like a kill goes, pulling what, pulling someone in. inside out. Yeah, I think that was the first time that's ever happened. It was dope. Yeah, it was. It's not like really like pulling someone inside out because no. you find out they're just basically full of worms and shit. But right, right, right. Which it's like Mister Oogie Boogie from fucking Nightmare Before Christmas. <laughs> it really is. It really is. It's was it Barbara Steele? Like when she got like cut up and just like uh, a bunch of worms and she yeah, came yeah. out. <laughs> He's like kind of like that. She's just trying to regain that body, but point being is ted literally gets turned inside out that means there's an opening now in washington catch my drift and billy milo who was at the party as well yo milo what a fucking cool cucumber up until like his homeboys fucking threatened at the end but he yeah. walks in in disguise on the fucking murder orgy and, just like, and manages to like not just immediately throw up all over the place i know right which Keep probably, shit together. dude, that shit couldn't have smelled good, right? I'm saying there's a, a lot of juices, a lot of smells. I don't know what some of those juices are. <laughs> Me either. I don't think we can ever figure that out. No, that's... But he keeps his pool <laughs> the entire time to the that's point so where, like, later on, a hand's trying to touch him, and he's just like, fucking knock it Get off, bro. Get out of here, bro. I ain't here for that. But you don't need to know that. <laughs> Keep that over there. All right. So, yeah, the whole point, Billy, Clarissa, Milo, get out of there. That's out right after Billy punches butthead dad. Uh, not dad, but... Yeah, not dad. Yeah, and then, yeah, the judge drops that line in Cleveland, Dr. Cleveland, and that's pretty much the end of the movie. They exit out on the Eaton Boating song, and that's it. Which, okay, so I haven't read the comics. I know a little bit of what happens finally in the sequel. I okay. don't know at what point yeah, the sequel is set. Because I don't think it was written until, like, 2003 or something. Oh, so I don't yeah, know if yeah, it's, yeah, like... Yeah. I don't know if it's real time later or if they said it directly mm. after the events or yeah. how that works. Interesting. Yeah, but what I, I do know that. is that eventually Billy manages to poison the entire mm. Hollywood branch of society at a shunt. Wow. Interesting. What this movie leaves huh. me thinking is like they're still fucked. Like they're oh, well, yeah. That's society's in government. Branch, dude. The implication is they pretty much run the world. Yeah, it's like that's just like a a tiny hive in a even his girlfriend is one. Even if she's not feeding on you. Right. She's still one. She's still a part of that. I was kinda curious about like where this could have gone post. Like they're fucked. They don't last that <sighs> yeah. long. They ain't they ain't smart enough. Let's just be honest here. They yeah, got chutzpah. It is more akin to like you were saying, a folk horror, maybe even a little bit cosmic horror esque mm -hmm. kind of tale. Like he was fucked from the get go. He was born into this scenario, this nightmare. Nothing he can do, and he's he knows too much. He's too implicated too at this point. All right, so a few things I wanted to point out. Some of the the themes and shit that we've talked about, I'll hold off. But just straight trivia, straight facts. I thought it was really interesting, like how this film came about. What was the whole idea behind this film, et cetera, et cetera. So Yuzna said at the time, now we're talking, you know, mid, late 80s, because of the success coming off of Reanimator, he was approached to do, or he at least secured the rights to do a sequel to Reanimator. So that's where Bride of Reanimator enters the frame. 
And this is also where kind of the early beginnings of this movie came to be. So he knew that he could make two films. He's essentially because of, of his deal with Wild Pictures, they were going to fund Bride of Reanimator, but he wanted to do this film first. Mm-hmm. So how did this film come about? So he and Dan O'Bannon, surprisingly enough, because of their work together in television and because of uh, the fact that Dan O'Bannon, uh, he directed, it was a Return of the Living Dead. Mm-hmm. But they had a project that was entitled The Men. And the whole idea behind that was like a woman finds out that every man in culture and society is actually an alien. Like men okay. are an alien race, right? And so there's this whole thing with paranoia and kind of like, like Twilight Zone, kind of like invasion of the body snatchers and that kind of shit. You know, very sci-fi. Mm-hmm. There's a sense of paranoia and dread and tension and all this other stuff. They were kind of running with that idea. So they were waiting on financing. It took a little while for it to get off the ground. When they finally got financing, O'Bannon had to back out for whatever mm-hmm. he had other obligations. So Usno was stuck with a script, no director, didn't know what to do. That's when Keith Wally and Paul White kind of entered the frame. Those are two producers because they had their own production company at the time or at least di- distribution. Mm-hmm. They also were in, I think they were getting financed by a Japanese company as well, a Japanese distributor. Okay. And they had a project that they wanted to work on. And this is where Rick Fry enters the frame because he had the initial script that literally became what this is. So... Yuzna combined the idea of that. He wanted still the paranoia. Rick Fry, his concept was more about a cult, a blood cult in Beverly Hills, you know, mm-hmm. that were feeding off young kids and shit like that. But Yuzna's like, I don't want to do like the slasher motif and blood cult. I want it to be a little bit more weird than that. He likes the weird shit, surreal stuff. So he, Rick Fry, uh, the other person who was also in the script, writing in this, um, what was that, Woody Keith? So they, they fleshed out the ideas. And then the Japanese company was like, hey, let's uh, let's work with Screaming Mad George for the, the practical effects. And then because Yuzna's a big fan of Salvador Dali, so is Screaming Mad George, whose real name actually is Joji Tani. And he, he's the whole reason why he wanted to name himself Screaming Mad George is he didn't like his, his name, Joji Tani. He's like, that was just kind of plain and... He was in um, art school in New York at the time and stuff like that. And he was very into Salvador Dali. He was really into Screaming Jay Hawkins. So he liked that name. He took that. And he didn't want to be evil. He wanted to be mad. He's like, I, I'm more, you know, not necessarily crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he liked the, the combination. The Screaming Mad sounds kind of cool. So he went with it, right? Anyway, he was also highly influenced by Salvador Dali. And Brian Yuzna... He's a huge fan of horror films. He's made mention of that several times before. He said the film Dr. X and uh, just like body transformations, basically werewolves and stuff like that, was his major influence on, on what he wanted to do with the shunting, what became the shunting, like what it would be like to have bodies meld, which is really neat. So they basically reverse engineered the idea from the shunting. They knew that was going to be the finale. They just mm. had to work everything else into that moment. Basically, we reworked the script backwards. Now, I've seen three different Dolly paintings referenced Mm -hmm. for influence for the shunting. Okay. The Great Masturbator, Mm -hmm. Autumn Cannibalism. Yes. And 
a soft construction with boiled beans, yeah. premonition of right. civil war. Yes. Those last two I've seen, and I understand where they get shunting from. I have yes. not actually seen The Great Masturbator. Actually, I have. I have. It's a it's a woman. Uh, it's like a large, if you're familiar with Dolly, he likes those large, surreal, yeah. Oh, okay. Yep. See yeah, that. and so it is. It's it's supposed to show the woman's parts and her getting off and all that stuff. So yeah, I have seen, and I've seen the other two as well because the other two actually were. I think the other two fit the shunting more than well, this one. It makes sense because the other two were actually paintings that Screaming Mad George brought to Usna as his ideas for the shunting. Right. Because it combined more of that body melding horror aspect of it more so than you know the masturbator or the great masturbator. But regardless, Dali surrealism, body melding, body horror, the fact too that Usna was a fan of David Cronenberg. And the fact that practical effects were more moving more from like what Dick Smith and Tom Savini were using with wax, it was going more into plastics. Oh, okay. So you could do a lot more. You had a lot mm-hmm. more flexibility with this kind of shit. And one other thing I thought I'd seen, and maybe you know enough to confirm or not, but that even though he had moved away from the idea of like a blood cult, mm-hmm. that the shunting scene originally was supposed to be bloody as shit alongside all yeah, the other yeah, yeah, juices. Yeah. Yeah. And then relatively last minute, maybe not actually last minute, he sort of ditched that idea, realizing there was no way it wouldn't be <laughs> NC-17 if he did that. Yeah, I don't know how much they talked about it. I, he didn't really mention it in a lot of the stuff that I watched. But I do know this. I do know that's just coming from Scream Mad George and some of the other guys that worked on it. Uh, two guys I didn't want to make mention of. One's David Grosso, one's Nick Benson. They helped with a lot of the molding Okay. For the shunting. And also they worked on the like the butt head yeah. sculpting. So they did a lot of sculpting work and animatronics and shit like that. A puppeteering more mm-hmm. specifically. But anyway, anyway, Mad George, he was saying that uh, for the whole shunting and stuff like that, they had to do like a lot of molding and a lot of all this shit like really, really fast because they were working under, you know, just a short time frame to do all mm-hmm. this stuff. And a tight budget as well. So he said normally on a molding or a sculpting or whatever of whatever he's going to use, it takes a couple of days. He said he was doing this at like, and literally a day because he would stay up. I don't know. He said only get like on average three or four Damn. hours of sleep per night. And the rest is just working on this project along with his other guys and stuff like that. So the final shunting and all that stuff, it's just, it was wild how much effort. And he said how kind of nasty it was how gross it got <laughs> because they were putting this methylcellulose on people and bill warlock said he'll never eat jelly donuts again because he found out that's the stuff they used to i guess to congeal jelly and donuts and shit oh interesting okay. yeah and that's the stuff they were putting all over their bodies oh, and stuff shit. he said okay. yeah that turned them off no, i was good. like oh i didn't know that um so you know i'm not trying to knock it but they they do use that as like a congealing agent okay you know for foods but they, they mentioned that, too. He's like, it's just, it, it was gross. That whole day of shooting was gross. The guy who played David Blanchard, they said that he gave such a, like, horrific portrayal of what he was going through in that scene. They had to cut back or edit a lot of his shit out because it was too intense. Screaming Mad George apparently is not a fan of, of like, insects, bugs, <laughs> maggots, all that. So when the scene with the pulling inside out. Yeah, he said, like, he literally couldn't watch it. Like, fuck that noise. Yeah, which is interesting because, like, you see all his artwork and stuff and what he can do. Mm-hmm. But, 
he doesn't want to see that. Right. It's like, I mean, I get it. You know, there's some stuff I don't want to see either. But he said, um, like that whole hand flicking yeah. scene with Dr. Cleveland, that actually comes from his artwork. Oh, okay. Yeah, he said a lot of his artwork when he makes was in his art way school. Into shit. Yes, makes its way into this film. And just the fact that he was able to pull that stuff off and the guys that worked with him too says, you know, if you give him an idea, it doesn't matter how crazy it is, he'll figure out a way to do it. Nice. And they, there's like these little models they make. It has a certain name for them. He said that, you know, he would make those little mock-ups, show the mm-hmm. the practical effects guys with it. This is what we're going to do. And so they did it. So I was like, that's pretty impressive. But yeah, this film is kind of, it's interesting, man, because I've already made mention. He had brought a reanimator in the bag, but he wanted to use that as his second film as a part of this two film deal. Right, right. And Used this is leverage to be like, right. Cool, and this, we'll do that because we just got to do this first. Like I said, because Dan O'Bannon backed out. Now, initially, it was supposed to be Dan O'Bannon was going to write that film, The Men, Usen mm-hmm. was going to produce, and Stuart Gordon was going to direct. Didn't work out that way. So, because he said he knew how Stuart Gordon kind of filmed on mm-hmm. Reanimator, he's like, I'm just, I feel like I can do that. So, this is actually his directorial debut. Sweet. Society is like, that's not a bad debut. It is a pretty wild film. It's a cult classic by today's standards, you know, mm-hmm. I think by any standards, but interesting film nonetheless. It's our third film that we've done by him now. So I agree. I wish this was more of one like, oh man, I wonder what this scene was seeing, but it does just sort of spell it out for you. Yeah. I mean, there's no big surprise, but I think it's still interesting that this film, regardless if you viewed it back then, back in mm-hmm. 89, 90, whatever, or today, it still holds weight yeah. because of social stuff that's going on right now with class divide and, mm-hmm. you know, even the act, some of these actors are talking about that, you know. So you got that kind of stuff going on, the 99%, you know, we are the 99% and the mm-hmm. 1%. So it still holds weight. It's still an interesting take on on class welfare or, you know, just warfare, if you want to call that too. Yeah. So I thought it was interesting. I can't remember. Did we figure out what we're doing next week? No, I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> I don't think so. We'll we'll figure out a good one to end with before we're gone for a couple of weeks. But then remember, oh, yeah. we're going to be gone for a couple of weeks. But Historic. then we'll be back. <laughs> we know what we're doing then. Yes, we do. That's going to be fun. So, I mean, I guess I just sort of cut it up. Do you have anything else to say on society? I don't really. I feel like it speaks for itself. You just kind of got to go watch it. No, I agree. Like, if you've heard rumors and if you listen to us by now and you haven't seen it, do yourself a favor and go and do it. And then, uh, yeah, check out some of those other films in his catalog. So, yeah, we're going to go figure out what we're going to do. But for this time, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried Squirms. Out. Hi, everybody. Tyler here. If you like the podcast, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us, or preferably over on Apple Podcasts, that'd be super cool as the entire world is ran on algorithms and we want to be all up in them. Uh, We highly appreciate it whenever you tell all your friends about us. If you have any suggestions, comments, questions, want us to put eyes on your current independent horror project, you can always contact us, squirmcast at gmail.com, or you can contact us through our website, www.friedsquirms.com. Scroll through our entire back catalog there, or click the links up at the top, as we are part of the Earverm Podcast Network, uh, and would love it if you went and checked out some of our sister shows. Uh, The easiest way to keep track of things across the entire network is to go over to that website. That's earverm.com, E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. Uh, You can search for us across all the social medias. 
if you type in fried squirms, we should be what pops up. I'm not going to give you all those ads. So with all of that in mind, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, peace.